0: Welcome back to another exciting edition of the Pointless Exercise Podcast. I'm going to talk about the Cubs today with, all right, Tom, I wrote this down the way you wanted it, host of the Beers and Beat Guys podcast at beersandbeatguyspod.buzzsprout.com, and award-winning, legendary Cubs blogger and obvious shirts purchaser and shareholder Tom Loxus. Did I get it right?
1: Yeah, that sounds about right.
0: Yeah, good. All right. I just aim to please. Well, thank you. I uh, I was on your podcast like five weeks ago, and uh, we said we would do a home and home, so this is uh, this is the other half of that. So I'm happy to have you. Thanks, man. So I wanted to start this off with uh, I don't know if you heard this, uh, but uh, Say Suzuki, who showed up in the best shape of his life, immediately ripped his oblique off of his body, and. Uh, <laughs> He's out for somewhere between five days and a year. And it leaves kind of a gaping hole in right field for the Cubs. One, I'm going to give you four possibilities here, and we'll talk about them and figure out if we think any of these guys are actually going to fill the void here. Possible right fielders for the Cubs. Mike Talkman, Nelson Velazquez, Christopher Morel, or Patrick Wisdom. Do you think any does any of those four get y'all excited about the first no. few weeks of Cubs right fielding?
1: No, I uh no excitement. I, I do think though that Trey Mancini might play some right field.
0: Oh, that's true. Trey Mancini the third can yeah. play supposedly first base, right field, and left field.
1: Yeah. And today today they had um wisdom out there, which you know, it's just starting to scare me a little bit because I feel like that means Nick Mangravall is your everyday third baseman.
0: Do you question the wisdom of playing Patrick Wisdom in right field? Cause well, because I, I do. Yeah. It it just seems very Cub, right? Like one of the one of the reasons you like to have Patrick Wisdom in the lineup is that I know he. The metrics didn't like him as much last year and he apparently got yelled at and he tried to fix it late in the season. He's their best defensive third baseman. So why not take advantage of that by playing him in right field instead?
1: Yeah, and then you got, you know, the weak throwing Nick Madrigal at third base. I mean, who knows? I don't know if Ross is actually planning on playing him that much at third or if he's just trying to get him the reps, you know, in spring training just to get him to the point where they can use them there sparingly who knows but yeah right now every time i turn on my tv madrigal's at third and that's that's kind of frightening
0: so i was i was interested i went back and looked at the lineups for all the spring training games okay i don't because i have nothing better to do um i tried to convince myself that madrigal was taking the starts at third that wisdom would have gotten had he not uh, strained his groin in the first spring training game. That's true. And I was like, okay, good. That's all they're doing. They're just playing him there because they got to play somebody there. And then Wisdom comes back, and uh, the little guy gets a shot at third base anyway. So it kind of blows that out of the water. Um, to me, the biggest down, you know, the downside of playing him at third isn't just that you know he's tiny and you know he's not exactly Ron Say, but um, This is a Cub lineup that is challenged to slug anyway. Can you really afford to have a little slap hitter at third when his replacement at second, Nico, who's a much better player, also doesn't really give you very much pop? It seems like if your whole thing was to make a concerted effort to get some extra base power in the lineup, playing Nick Madrigal out of position is completely the opposite of that
1: yeah i I agree with. You. I think that this lineup I think will be just fine, but they're gonna miss a little bit of pop, you know, and I feel like with Suzuki out, you've got to have as much in there as you can. so yeah i would I would much prefer to see wisdom at third and then if you have to play um Mancini and Wright, it just gives you some options at the h but you know I think I think Ross will move it around for the first month and see what happens. but yeah, they, they're going to they're gonna need to replace... They're going to need as much pop as they can in that lineup because I don't know what they're going to get with Bellinger yet. And um, Mancini does look like... Mancini looks pretty good right now, you know? So at least, like, he looks like he's going to be able to hold down one of those power sources. But, uh, yeah, we haven't... You know, other than a couple uh, extra base hits from Bellinger, I haven't seen a whole lot of pop from him yet, so we don't know what we're going to get. I think that... Uh, I think you need wisdom in there at least, or Rios. You know, you need at least a threat in the lineup. Right.
0: Yeah, Trey Mancini the third is slugging eight ninety five so far in the yep. spring, which you know that would work. He'd do that. Yep. I'd sign. I'd sign up for eight ninety five.
1: Yeah, he's looked good. I'm actually pretty happy that uh, they have him right now.
0: Um. So if you play him in right field, my problem with that is then who do you DH? and my concern is given, uh, David Ross's weird proclivity to, uh, DH his backup catcher. Mm. That that's just what we need is a, as a way to get uh, Tucker Barnhart and Jan Gomes into the lineup at the same time. Cause that's really, that seems like a brilliant idea. Um, you've already got a relative black hole at first base in Eric Hosmer, who I just, I can't imagine they're going to get a whole lot out of him other than, um, Soft ground balls to second base, which is nice because you know Jason Hayward's not around to supply those, so Eric can pick that slack up. So that's fun.
1: Do you feel like Hosmer might get a little bit of a lift in his average though with uh, the shift going away?
0: I guess maybe, but it's another. He hits you know he hits the ball on the ground so much yeah. that he's not going to supply any slug either, and. You know, I'm sure Mash Mervis, you know, will light it up with Team Israel to the point where when he comes back, it's just undeniable you got to play him at first base. But I think we know that's not the plan. Uh, I know when you had uh, Megan Montemurro mm-hmm. on your podcast, you guys talked about Christopher Morel, and she talked about how I think for the Cubs ideally would send him to Iowa to start so that he could play all the time. And given his second-half numbers, which were not good... Um, i could see that but i think the problem is when you look at the offense um you got to keep somebody bad to send him to iowa <laughs> that yeah. doesn't seem like a good idea
1: that might be that might be your guy david bodie how
0: about how about david bodie right field
1: huh <laughs> yeah i think um he could do it all i think if it were me i would definitely keep morrell And I think that's, I mean, I thought that when Suzuki first got hurt and I asked Megan about that, I said, I thought that might crack the door open just to give either Mervis or Morrell a chunk of that playing time, you know, and, um, but she wasn't completely convinced, you know, she thinks Morrell might be destined for Iowa, but it's not a sure thing, but uh, the fact that he still has some things to work on and is not going to get a lot of playing time, they feel like he should be playing every day. But I don't know. I think if it depends on how long Suzuki's out. If he's only going to be out for a month or so, then I would give one of those kids a shot to try to give him some bats. Um, Talkman is going to be a guy that I think has a really good chance at making the roster. So I think it's either him or Velasquez, and who knows? And you might you might see one of those two guys out there a little bit. But um, so, yeah, in a, in a perfect world, I'd love you know Brandon Davis to take that spot, but I don't think he's I don't think he's going to start the year off in Chicago. Yeah.
0: It's funny. Um I put zero stock into spring training numbers at all. Especially David Bodie's because he's history. He's like one of the greatest Cactus League players of all time. Um except for Brennan Davis. Like the other day when he hit the fly ball to the wall that the guy lost in the sun and it was a double. I was like, "Ah, he's rounded into shape." <laughs> <laughs> it looked like a line drive in the box score. So I'll, I I for some reason I, I throw all that out the window when it comes to Brennan Davis. The, uh, I guess, you know, there are people on the Internet who apparently only look at David Bodie's stats, especially his spring stats, and immediately are like, see, this guy, now that he's healthy, you know, he's really going to be good. It's like he was healthy most of the last three years. I mean, I know that he did the hilarious trip on the baseball and hurt his shoulder, one of the, one of the funniest um, baseball injuries of all time. But he wasn't hurt the whole time. His performance has not been good for a long stretch. So you can pretty much be comfortable that he's bad. He is famously not on the 40-man roster. So it's not only... Now does he not have any options? Well, he doesn't need options because he's on. He's basically on the Iowa roster now. <laughs> You'd have to make an accommodation to get him back. And I just have a hunch that when the, the team breaks camp, both... Now hold your, hold your horses here about this collection of talent, that both Zach McKinstry and Miles Mastroboni are going to be Cubs. Are you excited about that? You really think so? I do. Because I think, well, we'll see what what Jed's attitude towards roster, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Assemblage. That's not the right word, (laughs) is because smart teams, your opening day roster is not your like ideal first roster of the year. But it basically anybody that anybody you think you want to keep that doesn't have any options left. The smart thing to do is to put is to try to cram them all in the 26 man roster to start the season because the time when guys get claimed is that those last few days of spring training. Everybody's rosters are in flux. And I mean the Cubs famously too two of their greatest players of all time were guys that the Blue Jays tried to sneak through waivers at the final days of spring training. Reed Johnson and Luis Valbuena both ended up Mm -hmm. being Cubs because of that. Um, So I I, I'm going to try not to get too excited if the final days of spring training, Nick Madrigal gets assigned to Iowa, because that seems like the smart thing to do, even if you've convinced yourself that he can help you. Um, anybody who has an option that you can live without for a few days, you send to Iowa, let everybody's rosters kind of settle in to everybody thinks they're happy with them. And then you can try to sneak guys through. If you try to sneak guys through the last few days of spring training, you're going to lose them. Mm -hmm. And on the other hand, the Cubs should be with this roster. They should be also like scanning the waiver wire those last two days and willing to throw dead weight overboard to try to add somebody useful. Um, So that's just my theory, is that we're going to think we've won the war and it's merely a battle that Nick Madrigal is going to go spend a couple of days working on his defense (laughs) in Iowa. And then all of a sudden we turn on Marquis and he's leading off and playing third base.
1: That's my my assumption. (laughs) I feel like he's going to be on the opening day roster and, 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 and even in the opening day lineup. But um, yeah, I'm so kind of surprised. Well, I'd be surprised. Let's put it this way: if they kept both of those utility guys, and I do believe that they have some value, but I just couldn't keep both of them. I would have to. Um, I'd have to pick one. I, I don't think they both make the roster. But um, and then there's other teams out there that need infielders. So who knows? Maybe uh, you know the Rockies or one of these other teams, the Dodgers, that lost the middle infielders, they come calling for David Bodie. Or Nick
0: Madrigal. Yeah, I mean, if I'm the Dodgers, that's my first call. <laughs> is for Bodie. You know, it's one of those things though. If they did trade for him, he would hit like, you know, three ten with twenty six home playing part time, twenty six homers, <laughs> sixty yeah. RBIs. Everybody be like, "See, the Cubs did it again." Uh, speaking of that, have you seen Jason Hayward's new swing?
1: Unfortunately, it's breathtaking. Many times it looks yes. so
0: much different. Than all of the forty-eight versions of it he had with the Cubs.
1: Yeah, it's, just, it's uh,
0: you don't have if to, something you don't have I'm to be sorry, Z, you don't have to be Zapruder to look at that and be like, <laughs> it's the same thing, guys. Yeah, it really is. It's his hands still start at a point where they have to go back to go forward, and he's laid on everything, and everybody's making a big deal out of the really long foul ball he hit. Of course, then the next pitch he hit, he somehow fouled the ball off his head. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs> that was pretty good. Uh, not the, and not even the the Ryan Sandberg where you foul it straight down into the plate and it hits you in the nose, which as a kid was one of my favorite moments. He somehow hit himself in the head like in the air with a foul ball. It was amazing. But, um, yeah, I know there's a lot. There's Cub fans who are already worried that he's going to go to the Dodgers and light it up. And I, I just want to assure you, you have nothing to worry about.
1: Yeah, and I, I just I thought that they had plenty of talent on that team. I didn't even think that he'd even make the roster, let alone be a concern of Dodgers Twitter or even Cubs Twitter. I thought we were done with that whole thing. But um, yeah, well, now isn't it a product now
0: of they're having to shuffle the infield around? Like Mookie might play second base, which opens right field, and then they're like, "Hey, we'll just put plug Jason Hayward in there." It's like, all right, guys, yeah. you, believe me, you don't want to see that. You really don't. Take it, take it from me. You don't want to see it. And I don't think it'll happen, because I, I think the Dodgers, they're, you know, an actual well-run franchise. I think they'll find somebody.
1: Yeah. I could see them being interested in bringing McKinstry back. But we'll yeah, see. unless
0: they just really didn't like him. <laughs> <laughs> unless they were like, oh, this, he can't play. Yeah, I could see that. And Miles Mastroboni um, played shortstop today for Team Italy in their upset over the Cubans.
1: Oh. I heard you watched that game, didn't you?
0: I did. I watched the. I watched like the last four innings of it. I had to find it. It was on Tubi. I didn't even know I had Tubi, but I. Yeah. Everybody does. It's free. Um. Yeah, and they blew. They were up two nothing. Then they were up two to one. Then they blew the lead. Their uh, pitching coach. Their manager is Mike Piazza. Their pitching coach is Mike Borzello. Wow. Just because it, you know, he's Italian, so he got to be the pitching yeah. coach. Yeah. Um. It went to extra innings, and uh, they ended up winning four to two. And I, it's easily the best baseball game I've seen this calendar year. Wow! Because it was the only one I've seen so far that wasn't a spring training game, so it wasn't a high bar to clear.
1: You're putting that over the Cubs combined no hitter?
0: Oh, that's you know, it was great. <clears throat> I mean, I have it on my, I saved it on my DVR. I'll never erase it. Um, oh my god! It's the best. I. Uh... I was just impressed that they didn't lose 11 in a row after the combined no-hitter. I thought that was I thought that was the thing they did. They haven't they, lost, yeah. right? Apparently,
1: right? Apparently, they go streaking one way or the other after a combined no-hitter.
0: So how much, I mean, obviously, you win nine Cactus League games in a row. It's a harbinger of a, of a great season, I think. Don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, oh, that, that, no team has right. ever had a great spring and not had a great season, um, like the Kansas City Royals, who seem to win the Cactus <laughs> League every year. Including this year, they're still in first place, even with the Cubs super hot.
1: Wait, didn't the Cubs like have the shittiest record in the Cactus League one year, and then they actually had a good team that year? What yeah, year it's like that? the
0: famously eighty-four Cubs could eighty-four, like, yeah, could like they not win a game. They were like six and twenty or something awful, and then
1: yeah,
0: and then they were unbeatable during the season. Yeah, yeah, the Cubs have won nine in a <laughs> row, so. That's got to mean something, I guess. Maybe
1: it it does on Twitter. People are trying to hold it down, but yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of excitement out there. I uh, you know I am excited though about at least the pitching looks good, except for some of the performances. Like David Sampson, he. Uh, Apparently, I heard today um, that he's working on things. W- if it was, Sampson, it was David
0: yeah. Sampson, that'd be a real problem. With the, yeah, the, sorry, Jeffrey Lurie's Adrian son-in-law, <laughs> who got to be the president of the Marlins and who now does a baseball insider podcast. It's like, you weren't an insider; you were a nepo baby. Anyway,
1: yeah, now he used to uh, he used to come into one of the restaurants he used to work at. Um oh, I bet he did. Yeah, he uh, he would he would talk baseball. Uh, anyway, Sampson though. Yeah, Tommy Hotovy was on the score today, saying that he is, of course, working on things. You know, anytime a pitcher struggles in spring training, they're working on things. And uh,
0: tell him to start working on getting people out.
1: But yeah, I was going to say he might be working on not being in the rotation because my guy Wesneski is dealing.
0: I was going to ask you about that about who who's going to nail down that fifth starter spot. It looks like there's three candidates. That is the great Adrian Sampson who was so good that he was DFA'd twice last year, including once by the Cubs. Um, Hayden Wesneski and Javier Assad. I think those are our three candidates for that job. So who do you like? you like think, Hayden for that job?
1: I. That's my personal favorite. I do believe the Cubs want to give Samson every chance to take that job and maybe even start Wesneski in the bullpen um i think his stuff probably plays better in the bullpen but i personally would love to see him in the rotation and you know just just hold it down and run with it i i just want to see some of these kids that they have you know have have big roles you know because it's like otherwise what are we doing it's like right
0: at, uh, at, samson's
1: not a long-term piece so let's give wes Nesky the shot
0: at some point all these great arms they've got somebody's gonna have to become a starter out of it i mean Keegan Thompson's already a bullpen guy, and Adbert is already a bullpen guy. And now, you know, well, Hayden's only got two pitches. It's like, all right, well, maybe teach him a third, or teach him how to get through six innings with two, because he's got one really good one. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it, it seems like they just, they default to, the guy guy's a bullpen arm, pretty fast. And it's like, okay, I know you harbor these delusions that you have a playoff team. You don't. Um, so if you're still thinking long term... Getting Hayden Wesneski to become a reliable starting pitcher is far more valuable to you than immediately plunking him in the bullpen and going, we'll eventually stretch him out, and then never doing it, which is kind of what they seem to, to do. I think it's it's two things. I think, number one, they, they're so... Um, they're so desperate to prove that the Pitch Lab is this great thing that they will... Uh, put starting pitchers on a short leash, and then try to pick matchups for them out of the bullpen to prove that they're good. Um, I also think some of their guys that they they touted as these you know really good pitchers end up. It's far easier to 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 become a reliever than it is to become a starter, and I do think they've got. I think for the first time in forever, they actually do have talented pitchers in the minors. I. I just I always get the impression from the guys who run the pitch lab and the guys who love to talk to the media from the pitch lab that they're far more interested in taking credit for what goes on there than they really are at uh, putting in the, the time in these guys to make them the more valuable thing, which is a, a starting pitcher. I think they, they've been burned by all the prospects that flamed out to the point where they're like, um, no, 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 let's just make Keegan a reliever. It's like, well, you don't have five good starters. Why isn't he? St- why? Why did he get yanked out of the rotation last year? It's like, just you know, when I was a kid, <clears throat> the Cubs, the Cubs, like Greg Maddox get the shit kicked out of him one year, just mm-hmm. obliterated, because they're like, well, he's good and he's got to learn how to get through this. Now I don't expect any of these guys to become Greg Maddox. but at the same time, not every young pitcher is really good from the start, and sometimes you got to let a guy get his brain speed in while he kind of figures it out. And I, I sense an unwillingness to do that. And I don't think it's because, oh, we got to protect the pitcher. I think it's because it's like, no, 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 it, makes, it doesn't make us look like geniuses. And I, I've always had this fear that their kind of need to get good PR for their pitching infrastructure supersedes actually getting the kind of re- long-term results that they need. And, but I could be full of shit.
1: I mean, that's a theory, uh, although, you know, there's also, you know, the 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 way the Braves did it, and even the White Sox to some degree would just, you know, start the young pitchers off in the bullpen and get them the innings that way. And then, you know, with the way the game has changed now with starting pitching not being as important as it used to be, so, you know, maybe they ease these guys in a little bit, but I don't know, I I still feel like, they've got to give one of these kids a shot at that rotation spot. I I'd, I'd rather see that than, you know, the reclamation project like Samson, but you know, I get it. He pitched pretty well, Esther and he deserves the, you know, to the equal shot at it. But yeah, you know, I'd rather see Wes Nesky or Assad myself. And yeah, we've joked about it on Twitter, but you know, I do also like Assad a lot. I think that he's uh he's got some moxie. He doesn't, he doesn't get a, you know, he, de- he looks like he's got no fear. And I dig that about him. He's, he's a battler. Um, but I think wisniewski has got the you know the brighter upside. But yeah, Saad's got a role on this team somewhere, I hope. I think that uh I like I like the kid. What do you think about him?
0: Yeah, I do too. I I guess I question and it could all just be this could all be kind of hand waved away. If the idea is okay, we 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 need Samson to, to get us some innings early in the year because we're asking a lot of these young kids to shoulder an entire season. It's not realistic, I guess, to think, all right, we're going to take um, Hayden Wesneski and Javier Assad and they're both going to make 30 starts. So if the if the feeling behind it is we can kind of slow play their early season and then there, we want them to become starters, I'm fine with that. My fear is that there there's not really the, that's not a plan. It's just, it might end up happening if circumstances warrant it. Um, but I don't, I don't quite understand why a team that is at best a fringe playoff contender is like, we've got to get, we got to get all these starts out of this 32 year old journeyman. Right. Um, it's like you, there's supposed to be a long game in play, right? And you've got, you finally have stockpiled young pitching, you know, it, you should try to get as much of that, like actual, um, like use useful big league experience. Like if they're going to become a starter, get them some starts. I understand the, you know, we can, we can take some of the load off. They're not ready to throw 180, 200, 200 innings. Um, so we'll spend a little time in the bullpen and then we'll get them some starts. I'm fine with that. I just worry that that's not really that. there's no plan for that.
1: But. Yeah. And I, I feel like the same way. And I feel like, um, even Caleb Killian is going to get that you know opportunity at some point too. So you might as well let these guys battle it out. I, I don't, I don't see where Samson fits long-term. So I don't, I don't really see the point and I don't, I don't think they're going to be more than a 500 team this year. You know, maybe they'll wait till like May or, you know, June to start figuring out those long-term solutions. You know, maybe they want to see how they play out of the gate and give everybody a yeah. chance to, um, you know, to think they've, um, they're putting, you know, putting together a contending team. And I, I think they still could be, but yeah, you've gotta you've gotta at least take a couple of these roles and give it to these kids. So yeah, that's that's what I'm rooting for. They got options though at least. I feel like they've got depth where, you know, a year ago or two years ago, my gosh, you know, there was nothing. So and that's why I like the Talion signing because at least he stabilizes You know, the the upper part of the rotation, if you've got, you know, Stroman and Steele and and Talion, at least you know you're just mixing and matching, you know, in those fourth and fifth spots. And, yeah, if Hendricks comes back healthy, then who knows what the hell, you know, it looks like. But, yeah, I just, uh, that's why I'm pulling for either Westonetsky or Assad to take that spot.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's the, that to me was the frustration was I really thought their plan was going to be to sign two free agent starters. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we did. One was Drew Smiley. It's like, no. Yeah, <laughs> no, that that doesn't count. You kept him. That's fine, but there should have been another one. And then that then, this would have made more sense. But if the idea was, well, we got Tyon and we got Adrian Sampson. It's like, guys, no, I don't. What are we? What are we trying to accomplish here? I don't get it.
1: Yeah, Cody Senga would have been like ideal, you know, at least because in at least you know you'd have
0: yeah then they wouldn't be teaching everybody the sweeper they'd be teaching everybody (laughs) the ghost slider which is much cooler sounding than the sweeper that is
1: very that's very cool sounding
0: I like how the Japanese guys come with all the cool names for the pitches um Daisuke had the gyro ball yeah and then there was somebody else who had some weird thing um the Daisuke the gyro ball was really good at getting hit really hard off the green monster that's where that's where it really rotated um he had to scrap that eventually but i do like the they're very their pitches are very well marketed at least when they come over yeah but yeah i mean Elden. i really thought they were going to sign two got two starting pitchers and uh well but did it did it come too close to the precious luxury tax I can't have that no so adrian fit in really nice into that uh bare minimum expense slot in the rotation
1: Yeah, there's a lot of talk about that whole taxing. I I don't like you and I talked about that on my podcast. I don't really quite understand that because with all the money coming off the books for next year, I mean it's it's I doubt that they're going to hit it next year unless, (laughs) yeah. So yeah, why not?
0: They can't legitimately make the argument that they're afraid to pay the repeater tax, right? Because they're not going to go over this by enough to be over it next year too. It's going to automatically reset next year with the $100 million that falls off the payroll.
1: so Unless they not- get Ohtani. If they get Ohtani, then.
0: <laughs> that's right. That's what Jed's like. Well, we, you know, Tom. Because
1: if anybody's going to make that. Yeah. anybody
0: $500 million. That's
1: what I was going to say. If anybody's going to give the first half a billion dollar contract out, it's going to be Tom Ricketts. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm confident of that.
0: He's itching to do it.
1: That's, that's what he's been waiting for. Is that that move right there? You still got that Bryce Harper money? Yeah,
0: it's earnest. been accruing interest, <laughs> so it's ready. It's ready to be used. Um. So their bullpen right now only has one lefty in it, mm-hmm. and uh, the great Brandon Hughes, uh, who's pretty good actually, and yeah. um. So there's been talk about, well, they need to go get a second one. And the, there were three names that got bandied about a lot. Um, they were, or were there four? There was Will Smith. There was Zach Britton. There was Mike Miner, yes, and there was Brad Hand. And now only two of those guys are still available. One is Zach Britton, who caught Tommy John disease, came back last year and only pitched in three games. Mike Miner, who has been terrible. For the last few years, so he's probably at the top of their list. Um, it kind of makes you wonder if that's if those are the lefties that are available. Should you just only have one? Because yeah, righties. There are righties who get lefties out, and maybe just focus on that as opposed to the good news for the Cubs is that the prices have never been lower. These guys are getting like million and a half, two million dollar deals. So if they do sign one, it won't cost very much. But it, it, you're and now you're to the point where they're going to come in and they're not going to be ready to start the season. So it's like, what you know, should we even bother? So that's at those
1: question. prices, just grab two. <laughs> that's right. You well, know the um, we've didn't the eighty four clubs. I was going to say, going back to the 84 Cubs, didn't they also just have one lefty, period? Wasn't Trout the only lefty on the team? Uh,
0: That's a good question. Did they have a lefty reliever?
1: I don't remember them having a lefty reliever. They did okay. Learn more at marines.com. But yeah, Zach Britton is kind of like, he's like an honorary cub. You know, he's been talked about since what, like 2017?
0: Yep.
1: yep. So, might as well.
0: Holy crap. Uh, the 84 Cubs used 18 pitchers total, which actually for that time in Cub history is a lot because Donnie and I pull these up sometimes in the 80s and they use like 12 pitchers all year. Wow. Uh, They had two lefties, Steve Trout, who made 31 starts and one relief appearance, and the great Ron Meredith, who appeared in three games. So everybody else was a righty.
1: Yeah, and they won 96 games. They'll be fine
0: and they uh, see if they had just given Fry a lefty to pitch to to pitch to pitch Tony Gwynn he wouldn't have walked him and then pitched to uh, Garvey oh I don't even want to think about it uh. but yeah the relievers who pitch most of the time for that team um, Lee Smith Tim Stoddard Rich Bordy George Rich Frazier. Frazier Warren Brewster and Dickie Knowles Ooh. Yeah. But, yeah, That's they got through man. it. It is one of those things where it's, if you don't have one, you don't have one. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do you any yeah, good no. to, to have a bad left. Do you remember guys like, uh, I think it was Don Baylor's first team, Daniel Garibay made the team out of spring training, and he was just terrible. And he only lasted like two weeks. It's like, why did we, oh, he was left-handed. Well, yeah, but he couldn't get anybody out. Or Andy Pratt. He was left-handed. That's great. Um, There is no law that says your right-handers can't get lefties out. So just do that. I'm trying to think who... There was a good team, and oh, um, this is no shock. The Joe Madden Rays only had one lefty for two of those years, I think. J.P. Howell. Oh, yeah. And he would use him against righties a lot because he was actually... Even though he was a lefty, he was a reverse-split lefty.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And he had reverse-split righties that he used as his lefty... Relievers. So they can they can just do that. That The pitch lab should tell them that. They've got to, got to have some printout somewhere that has that on it.
1: Mike, Mike Remlinger was also a oh reverse God. lefty, wasn't he?
0: Yes, and Dusty could never, no matter how many times people tried to explain it to him, he could not figure it out. Nope. His best pitch was a changeup, and he wouldn't throw it to a lefty. Because it tailed back over the plate, and he did, thought it was going to get 800 feet. It's like, all right, well then... You should not be the guy we bring in to get a tough lefty out if you won't throw your best pitch to that lefty. But Bobby Cox had it figured out. Shot surprise. Uh, Dusty did.
1: Well, I think I. It's kind of funny though that Jed kind of foreshadowed that they'd be bringing somebody in, and then nothing happened, yeah. So, I don't know. Could be just like how they talk about extensions. You know, they're working on them.
0: Oh, I can tell you. I have not been disappointed so far that we have made it through spring training, knock on wood, without the Ian Happ extension. Um, I don't see any need for that ever.
1: Well, it's funny because he kind of like put himself out there the other day that he wanted to stay a Cub, but you would think he'd want to hit free agency being that he's going to be like the third best player at at worst on the market that the that market does not look very good for um for the cubs so yeah
0: my fear is that i think ian is a smart guy and i think he's like i probably should sign a long-term contract off of last year (laughs) (laughs) i probably shouldn't push my luck because two years ago at the trade deadline i was the worst player in the national league and now the Cubs are at least considering giving me like a five year contract. I think I should probably take
1: it. You wouldn't you wouldn't even sign him at like um
0: No, I don't want him. I'm already tired. All, yeah. I'm already tired of him. I'm tired of looking at him. I'm tired of him being in the lineup. I don't want him. To me, he's a he's a nice player who doesn't do anything well. He doesn't do he does a lot of things pretty good. He doesn't do anything really well. And I look at if he was it's the age-old cup thing, right? Like, if he really could have ever handled center field, I'd be perfectly comfortable with him. But you put him in left, and it's like, we need more out of left field than that. We just mm-hmm. do. Now, maybe now that you've got a DH, you have an extra spot for a bat. You can live with it a little more. But on the other hand, they've got supposedly all these great prospects coming up. You know, you've got Brennan Davis, and you've got um, Kevin. Is it... We need a ruling. Is it... Is it Alcantara? Alcantara? The whole Eris uh, Mendy Alcantara thing has me thrown off forever. As to, I always thought yeah. I knew how to say that name.
1: How does Pat Hughes pronounce it?
0: Contreras. <laughs> <laughs> he misses Wilson Al- so Contrera. much. He, he Al him <laughs> He just calls him Kevin Contreras. Like, no, that's not his name, Pat. <laughs> ah, damn it. Um, I love that uh, Len Casper got a bunch of shit when he started pronouncing Eris Mendy Alcantara. Fans were, like, oh, going all that. over him on Twitter. and Like, that's not how you say his name, whatever. And Len is like, you know who I asked? I asked him. That's how he said his name is pronounced. I think he's the one who gets to pick how his name is pronounced. Uh, but Cub fans still I were
1: still were happy. I love Boog, but I do miss Len. I'm sad he retired.
0: Yeah. I, it's just weird. Top of his game. Just walked away. I guess you kind of admire it. I don't know what he's doing. I don't know if he's selling used cars or...
1: (laughs) I think he's in a band.
0: Yeah, that's probably it. He's probably probably touring uh, supper clubs in Wisconsin. Good for him. As long as he's happy. That's all I care. I really like Len. He's a great guy.
1: Yeah. He was was doing national games, you know, and then he just walked away.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, the pandemic season really screwed it up because Fox... Fox had, like, big plans for him. Um, yeah. They, they were going to put him on, the, like, the regional game of the week, and he was probably – he might have been in line to get a playoff series. And then all of a sudden COVID happened, and they cut everything way back, and it just didn't happen. And then he couldn't wait to get away from Marquis fast enough, and he did. So – but, yeah. I, yeah, I'm pretty,
1: I'm pretty happy with Boog. Although – um Yeah, Joe, uh, what was he going to say? Joe Davis, uh, he kind of took the spot at Fox. He's he's like the new new guy, the new Joe Buck.
0: Here's a prediction for you. If I'm Joe Davis, I'm already looking over my shoulder. Because I think within, I'm making a prediction. Within three years, the number one play-by-play man at Fox is Jason Benetti.
1: Oh, he's great. I think
0: if Benetti had been there... When, um, when Joe, when when Buck left, he would have gotten the job. He wasn't there yet. He was still at ESPN. He was working on his uh, transition to well, actually, wasn't even working on that yet because um, he was still he had just signed to do the Peacock those those early morning brunch games, um, and then sometime late in the season he signed a new deal with Fox. I just have a hunch that uh, the very excitable Joe Davis is not long for that spot. Not because he's not good, because he is pretty good. I just think Benetti is better.
1: Yeah, it's hard to argue that Benetti is not one of the premier announcers in all of sports. I mean, shit, he does every sport well, but yeah, baseballs is his best. So
0: I can see that happening. It's funny. I don't know how – Peacock is still going to do the morning games. Um, and I don't know how they're going to do them. I don't know if they're going – because they had kind of a weird – So Benetti was the play-by-play guy for every game, and then he would do it with a color announcer from both teams. Hmm. And I don't know if what they're going to do, because it doesn't sound like they they picked anybody to replace him. I almost wonder if they're just going to have one of the play-by-play guys from the two teams do the game with a color analyst from both teams, and the booth will be different every time.
1: Wow. That's kind of my guess
0: as to how they're going to do it. Kind of the old, um, remember the baseball network? Yeah. When CBS couldn't get out of the baseball business fast enough? (laughs) Yeah, wow. And then Major League Baseball's like, oh shit, now we don't have it. So they cobbled it together between NBC and who was the baseball network? NBC and ABC maybe?
1: Yeah, I think it's been a minute on that, but yeah. I'd have to look that up.
0: And it's kind of ironic that they're they're kind of back in that business again now as of uh, next Wednesday when all of a sudden 14 of the RSNs have nowhere to go because Sinclair or, is going to declare bankruptcy for its Diamond Baseball group or whatever it's called. And then um, MLB is going to literally take over the broadcast for a bunch of those teams. Um, they've already hired, like, they're ready for it. They've hired producers. Um, So, like, the announcers won't change. Although, maybe in St. Louis, maybe they wish they would. Um, So, like, Chip will still be the play-by-play guy for the Cardinals. But it won't be Bally Sports Midwest anymore. It's going to be MLB something-something. And they're going to have to find a local carrier for those games. And then they're going to stream them. And the thing that is most attractive to regular baseball fans is they're very likely going to stream them without blackouts. That's cool. And that's the kind of the beginning of the end of the regional blackout. Because I didn't realize this at first until so I did a little research. Um, you've, I'm sure you've seen that ridiculous blackout map that Major League Baseball has. Yeah. And, like, Iowa has, like, this very like psychedelic look to it (laughs) because they, there's a different color line for every team. And Iowa has like um, they're supposedly the home state of the Cubs and the White Sox and the Cardinals and the twins and the Brewers. And the effect of that is you're effectively blacked out of all of those games on any other way to get them other than through your cable provider and if your cable provider decides, I'm not carrying all these, you literally can't watch. You buy MLB.TV, and you, like, say your cable provider doesn't get marquee, and you buy MLB.TV, and you're like, well, that's okay, I'll just watch the Cubs on TV. You can't. They're blacked out. Um, but, so what I learned was, the, it's not like there's this map that is enforced Right now it's enforced by, everyone recognizes everybody's blackout. But apparently they don't have to. So with the Bally Sports thing goes um, belly up, it'll be up to MLB basically to decide, okay, do we want to honor the home territory for the Royals? And they're going to be like, well, no, because we're going to have a hard time getting the Royals deployed on cable systems all over this area. So if we simply lift the blackout, people can pay us for our TV package and watch them. And then there are like big teams, big market teams like the Cubs and the Yankees who don't want the blackouts. They wanna be able to sell their stuff to anybody. Mm -hmm. And right now they can cobble together a thing like the Yankees are gonna have an over-the-top thing where, if you live outside of their blackout area, you can just get yes and watch the Yankees. They love that, but because the blackouts are still in, were still enforced, they you couldn't buy that if you lived in the Yankee area. You couldn't buy that service. They were literally blacked out in their own backyard because they're like, well, no, you're supposed to get whatever cablevision has now. This is Charter. You're supposed to get you're supposed to get it and watch it through that. So as these start to crumble, teams like the Cubs and the Yankees, who are more regional or national, they're both national, are getting all excited because they're gonna be able to just basically say, anybody should be able to watch us. Um, Unfortunately for Cub fans who are sitting in a blackout area right now, whose cable thing doesn't cover it, it doesn't look like it's gonna affect them this year. You're still gonna get blacked out. But it could be as early as next season you never have to worry about that crap again. You don't have to worry about, okay, I have I have Hulu, and they don't have marquee anymore, so how the hell am I going to get it? It won't matter. You'll just buy MLB.TV and you'll just watch all the Cub games, which will be pretty nice.
1: Well, how does that affect the uh, marquee strategy of doing a standalone thing?
0: That would, that would be, um, in theory, that would be very good for them. Because now, if you're only interested in the Cubs, you don't have to pay for the whole MLB.TV package. Mm-hmm. You just buy the marquee over-the-top thing. Which baseball, it sounds like, is going to let teams sell. In fact, some of them already are. I think the Red Sox already are. This is really confusing. To try. I should, we should do video and I can point to a map. Um, <laughs> because right now, the people who I think most want the over-the-top thing are the people who live... like. In Chicago, who don't want to have to get um, Xfinity or the ones that actually cover carry marquee, they just want to pay for it and get it. As of right now, they're blacked out. They can't do it. You can't buy it. But if you were a Cub fan who lived in like um, Kenosha, you could. So they're somehow penalizing the teams, the fans who live closest to the park. And yeah, so like the NFL famously stopped enforcing their blackouts like twenty years ago. Because remember, like when we were kids, there was mm-hmm. always this, and there's still eleven thousand bear fan bear tickets left. And if they don't sell them by Thursday night, the game's going to be blacked out, and then like Jewel would buy them and give them away. That was literally to protect. They were they felt like if the games on TV were keeping. Some fans are like, screw it, I'm just going to watch it on TV, I'm not going to go. So they were doing it to try to keep, um, to try to sell more tickets. That's kind of the old Bill Wirtz theory, which is just ridiculous. The baseball blackout ones were, really came about when teams figured out that they could get money from individual cable carriers to carry their channels. So they wanted to lock in the only way you can get like the, the only way you can watch the Cubs on Sports Vision or whatever, whatever, what, what was the first one they were on? I guess Fox Sports Chicago. Yeah. Was like the first non WGN right. thing.
1: Right. Right.
0: The Cubs are like, this is great. Um, the the cable carriers pay us at the time. It was probably like 3.99 a month for every single household that gets it. Plus, we sell ads. We don't ever want to give this up. And that's why the blackouts came about because they didn't want you to have an alternative way to watch those channels. And baseball teams hoarded that, and it's a reason, there are some teams who still don't want to give it up. In fact, the biggest team who wouldn't have wanted to give it up but now doesn't have a choice are the Cardinals. In 2018, I think they signed their deal. They signed a billion dollar deal with, I guess at the time was Fox Sports Midwest. It's like a 15-year, $1 billion deal. They ended up being the last team that got a ridiculously huge RSN deal. And they're five years into it. And now when Bally goes bankrupt, there's no way for them to recoup that other $670 million that they're owed. So they're gonna have to figure out a new way now to get that, to, to try to get some of that money back so now they went from a team who was like we love the blackout because it got us a billion dollars they'll be like screw this you know everybody you know all those people grew up in the south listening to Harry on our radio network and we still got some fans in every state let's sell it to everybody so it's funny how the the economics will force you to change your mind about what do you think is a good idea
1: yeah do you get uh, Marky I do. Yeah. Who do you get it from? Xfinity. Okay. I've, I've actually got on direct TV streaming. Um, yeah, I had uh, Josh Nolan, you know, the former Tribune writer, a beer guy, um, also a Cubs fan a couple of weeks ago. And he was really pissed off about the whole thing because, yeah, he's not going to break his neck to, like, switch carriers or streaming services to to get marquee. You know, he feels like it should be on most of the platforms and yeah i mean youtube i don't know they had him and then they dropped it um that's a popular service so yeah. well, it just it would just make sense because you know he's like my kid's not going to watch cubs games like i did growing up and that's that's a lost opportunity um, um
0: no i was gonna say that that what baseball is finding well all of the um you know a lot of those rsns have an nba team and an nhl team too hmm when they first did those deals, every cable company wanted them. It was like an essential part of their programming. They're like, you know, we got sports fans. They're not going to want to buy us unless we have this channel. And over like the last seven or eight years, the attitude towards that has really changed. They're like, this costs a lot of money. And we get a lot of people who complain, why am I, why am I paying like $7 a month for this channel that I don't watch? And, so when YouTube dropped Marquee, I think a lot of people thought they were simply like, okay, this is a negotiating thing. Before the baseball season comes around, they'll sign another deal. It doesn't sound like YouTube is interested at all in re yeah, that. Because they're like, it doesn't affect our subscribers. We're not going to lose hardly anybody, so why are we paying for that? And that's why baseball has found themselves in a spot where they have to pivot c- quickly. To his credit, and one of the few things you can give him credit for, Bud interim commissioner for life, but see, like, wanted to get rid of the blackouts forever. He talked about it all the time, and he couldn't because he had too many of his owners who were like, "Uh uh-uh. Do you know how much money, extra money we get because of these blackouts? And now that's completely 180. Now most of the owners are like, get us out of this. We need to be able to, you know, we've got lots of fans who can't watch us. I think a great example of that was the Dodgers. They signed that huge deal with, I think, Time Warner. Mm Mm-hmm. And there was like 40% of their viewing area literally could not see their games because some of the other cable systems wouldn't pick it up. And all that money was guaranteed to the Dodgers. So they're like, well, that's too bad. Sorry you can't see us. Listen to Vin on the radio. And um, they just kept cashing the checks. All right. Now pivoting wildly, I told you before we started that you'd be amazed where we would end up. Um, Okay. So everybody's favorite Cub prospect, Pete Crow Armstrong, uh, made a pretty ridiculous catch the other day. Mm-hmm. And speaking, though,
1: speaking of Reed Johnson.
0: Yeah, except he didn't. Uh, he was smart enough not to smash his head into the fence and have the bill of his cap stick straight up when he got up. Um, one of the things that is impressive about Pete, and we saw it with his minor league highlights and we see it in the spring training games, is it's not just that He's fast. He is fast. There are certain guys in certain sports, baseball and football in particular, who can figure out right away the optimal path to take when the ball is in the air to get to that ball. Mm-hmm. And he certainly looks like a guy who just you know, I'm sure he's a math whiz. Probably a, probably a he got, you know, all A's in geometry. Um but he takes incredible angles to get to balls, which is why you add that to the fact that he's super fast, and you've got yourself a really good defensive outfielder. Hopefully, he'll hit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear right now, after he's only played like 118 minor league games ever, hmm. that you could put him in center field defensively today, and he'd be, you know, he wouldn't just he wouldn't just hold his own. He'd be one of he might be the best defensive center fielder in the National League. So you got to bear with me here for a minute. So I have, you I've probably heard, two of them have been making noise. I have four dogs. We didn't intend to have four, but we have four. Okay. One of them is a rat terrier. And her breed was literally, as the name suggests, she's bred to kill small vermin. And when these morons are playing in the backyard, she likes to hunt her brothers and sisters just for sport. And the thing i've noticed about her is like when she is tracking one of the other dogs she very often will back up and you're like what's she doing Well, what she's doing is she's figuring out the right angle when that dog takes off which angle to take she's giving herself enough room so she could take the shortest path to catch them and i pete crow armstrong reminds me of that of my dog which means I think Pico Armstrong has that dog in him. <laughs> huh? Has a long way to go for that. But I actually yeah. did think of that as I was watching that replay. It's watching Elsie. Uh, we had a good example of it here, where the other dogs trapped a chipmunk in the one of the downspouts of our porch, and the three the the other three dogs are right up as close as they can get to the downspout, and Elsie is slowly backing up. She got about twelve feet back. And when the chipmunk finally made a run for it, it immediately got past the three morons who were right by the opening. And she took a 90 degree angle and immediately snapped up the chipmunk and killed it,
1: so. Oh no.
0: That's Pete, that's Pete Carr Armstrong's defense to me,
1: so. That, yeah, That, that I think there's a t-shirt in there somewhere.
0: Yes. Pete's got that dog in him. <laughs> All right, the last thing I want to talk to you about Ow. was, and they could solve this with our first topic, which is they just put Nick Madrigal in the lineup and everything's fixed. Mm-hmm. Judging from the lineups that he's put together, here's what I think uh, David Ross wants to put out as his lineup if everybody's healthy. Uh, and I know he's moved Dansby around a little bit, but I think I know where he wants to put him. So he wants to have Nico lead off, then Dansby, then Hap, then either Bellinger or Saya. I'm going to say Cody, clean up. Then Saya, then Trey Mancini third. Um, I'm hoping that what he'd really like to have hit seventh is his what he should be his third base platoon of Rios and Wisdom, mm-hmm. then Eric Hosmer, and then the catcher. So, I don't know if you agree with that. That's that's just what I think he would like to put out there. So my question for that well, is, um, well no he, yes, he please give him input on what I put together for for David Ross's lineup. We,
1: well, we already know Suzuki's out for the year. Well, that's true. So that kind of no. But uh, in all honesty, I think that I'll be surprised. Has, has he been hitting Hosmer that low in the lineup?
0: Probably not, but he certainly should. Actually, he should hit 10th right. is where he should be. Can you do that?
1: I, I fear that he's going to be hitting much higher in that lineup. Uh,
0: that's... Man, that's bad.
1: Yeah, um, but otherwise, yeah, I think your top three is correct. I mean, he might switch them around a little bit, but I definitely think Horner is going to be the leadoff guy, you know, from here on out.
0: Um, so I believe Nico is a career three twenty-seven on base. Hmm. Um, they don't have a leadoff hitter. They just don't, and that's a cup <clears throat> tradition, unlike any other. Um. So my question for you is. If Nico is, is the closest thing you have to a leadoff hitter, and he's not really a leadoff hitter, but he is one of your, you know, he's a fairly productive offensive player. I like Nico. I think Nico's a good player. Yeah. Should you just not lead him off? Just put him in the spot where you would put him if you actually had a leadoff hitter, which I don't know, is probably like sixth and just sacrifice somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Be like, okay, Nico. we know you're not a leadoff hitter. You're never going to be a leadoff hitter. Instead of making you leadoff and then all of a sudden trying to act like what you think a leadoff hitter is, take pitches that you normally would swing at, because that's always my big concern when the Cubs just throw a guy into leadoff. And then they're like, well, no, no, you have to try to draw some walks. It's like, well, that would be great, but if, if you could draw walks, you would have already drawn them. You obviously don't know how to do that. So let's not put you up there. Um so how about this? How about just lead Hosmer off? We'll just get his outs out of the way right away. Is that <laughs> that's probably not uh, a great that's probably not a great strategy to take no, your I first don't think, hitter and get the most at like bats. That. That's not good because that's what Dusty did with Corey Patterson forever. Yes,
1: I was just gonna say Corey never took to the whole "I'm taking extra pitches because I'm the leadoff guy." That that wasn't his thing.
0: No, well they would do the weird like he would for like three days he take a bunch of – teams would be like, hey, look, he's not swinging. And then they just pump fastballs and strike him out. Then he'd be like, they're just throwing me fastballs. So I'm going to start swinging. And then I'll magically he wouldn't see any fastballs. And he'd strike out a lot. And then it would just kind of rinse repeat over and over again.
1: Yeah, I kind of got scared the other day when people were comparing PCA to Corey Patterson on Twitter. Because it's like, yeah, tools-wise, I see it. But, uh yeah, I just hope it's not the same result. Because, yeah, I mean – I know you had some thoughts about it, but he did look really good, you know, in '03 before he went down. But like you you said, they wouldn't even even won, you know, probably if he's he's in the lineup the rest of the year. But I don't know, I don't know. You know, he looked pretty good that year. He had that was before they started tinkering with him.
0: He had gotten off to a really good start, like a great Hmm. start. He did that. Like remember the one year he drove in six runs, he hit two homers and drove in six runs on opening day. He had gotten off to a good start, and we thought, all right, here we go, because that really was his. Like they. They did horrible things to Corey. They called him up in 2000. He was like yeah. 19 for no reason. That 2000 Cubs were going nowhere. What? The, why was he up? And they brought him up. They brought him up again in 01 when they were desperate for outfield offense that wasn't Sammy. And that didn't work. And he was still way too young. Um, Like his, his first two years in the minors, he was really good. Like he lit up Lansing like nobody's business. And the Cubs seemed to refuse... To let him repeat a level, like even if he struggled at the next level, it's like all right, well, we got to promote him. Why? Like, let him figure it out. Like, this is a talented kid. He might not, you know, in their mind, it was well, he's going to play Class A, then he's going to play Double A, then he's going to play half a season of A, and then he's going to be in the big leagues. And his development didn't actually reflect that. Um, and I have a feeling. They didn't completely ruin him. Like, he would have always had some flaws. But he had so much talent that I get the feeling, had he been in an organization that was willing to just let him improve, he would have had a much better big league career than he did. I mean, he hung around for a long time, mostly because he was super fast and could hit home runs. But he never really put anything together. And so in 03, he comes up and he gets off to a good start. But he had clearly hit a wall. Like, I th- around the middle of May, his production really started to plummet, and he was on a very poor trajectory the day he hit the bag weird and blew out his knee, and I think what it ended up doing was he didn't, th- I mean, it froze his stats at a very acceptable level, and everybody's like, well, look, he's, you know, he's turned the corner, but I don't think he really had, and Ooh. the reason I said I don't think they'd have made the playoffs without him is it wasn't just that his, his production would have, I think, inevitably not been able to rebound back to the way it had at the beginning of the season. He would have, I think he could have been you know useful. But when they made the trade for Kenny Lofton, Kenny completely changed the offense from that point on, yeah, especially totally. in the playoffs. Like he was always on base in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I remember having a conversation as the Cubs were, were gloriously cruising to victory in Game 6 of the NLCS. Who's the NLCS MVP? Is it Sammy or is it Kenny Lofton? It was going to be one of those two guys until all hell broke loose. So that's why I said that about Corey. I th- I think they kind of they would not have traded for Kenny if they still had Corey. No, would, I got and that. And you would yeah. not have gotten mm-hmm. Kenny's production out of Corey the rest of the season. So
1: Yeah, I just I feel like maybe he would have, you know, rebounded after that that slump he had in May. But wait, did wasn't he even like the extra um, right in for the All-Star game?
0: Yeah, there was like the whole talk that uh, had he not gotten hurt, he would have uh, ended up in the All-Star game. As you know, yeah. everybody who makes the All-Star game is a star, like Brian LaHare. So yeah. that would have been fine. Um,
1: well, that's when they had that stupid rule. But, yeah, Brian LaHare.
0: Mike Sharperson made the All-Star team once. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Travis Wood made it as a Cub.
1: Oh my gosh. They had to
0: have one. Old starting pitcher Travis Wood made the All Star wow. team one year as a cub. Yeah, they had some doozies. Um I don't I don't this will shock you. I don't understand what the prospect perverts are basing the Pete Crow Armstrong Corey comparisons on, though. That's the part I don't get. Um
1: Is it yeah, is it something like?
0: Is it hey, he's a, a Cubs center field prospect, so he's Corey? Because that seems like the laziest thing ever. I don't, I don't quite, I don't quite get there. You know, he's barely played in the minors because um, he only put what six games that first year before he hurt himself, and then he missed some games last year.
1: Yeah, I'd have to, I'd have to ask some of my. Uh my friends who are scouts are used to be like what they if they draw any comparisons there but yeah, you know, I mean he looks a little bit like him at the plate at times but yeah let's hope that his swing isn't as long i i do have high hopes for him so yeah i don't want to jinx him
0: he um he put up big numbers at Myrtle Beach which as everyone will tell you cuz we hear it all the time it's a really hard place to hit yeah so that's an excellent sign. He did not hit as well in South Bend. Um, his strikeouts went up quite a bit. Um, but he still had good overall numbers, especially for a guy who's only 20, who had only, at that point, when he got promoted to South Bend, had only played 44 minor league games ever, and all of a sudden he's in the Midwest League. Uh, that's pretty good. The thing... i want to pull this up real quick. Corey's numbers in the Midwest League were pretty ridiculous. And he was maybe the youngest player in the Midwest League when he did this. Um,
1: what do you think the timeline is for PCA?
0: Oh, they'll be real patient with him. He'll probably be up in June. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear, right, that they, they're they like leaving center field open for him next year. Yeah. Starting.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, the whole, let's give Cody one year, whether he's good or not, is a little... Uh, so at 19 years old, Corey Patterson in the Midwest League um, hit 320 with a 358 on base and a 592 slug. He batted 475 times. And how many times do you think he struck out at 19?
1: Mm, this was a guy who. How many at bats
0: for 19?
1: 475.
0: 475.
1: Um. 150. 85 times. Wow.
0: There was okay. there was nothing to suggest that he was going to turn out into the strikeout machine that he did, except the very next year when he went to to play in the Southern League at 20, which is super young for the Southern League. He his strike his at bats he played in he only batted 444 times and he struck out 115 times. So in 30 less at bats he struck out 30 more times.
1: There it is, yeah.
0: And then they. Uh, not only did they promote him to Iowa the next year They called him up that year He bet he played in uh, He got 42 at bats in the majors and struck out 14 times So to me that was the The year where they screwed up his development was He was good But he wasn't really good in double A And at 21 He should have repeated double A And he didn't yeah. They put him in Iowa And they only played him in Iowa for half a season And then they brought him up to the Cubs again and he wasn't ready, and then he really never went back to the minors. He played 24 games in Iowa in 2005, but that was it, pretty much. So,
1: I felt like um, almost like the Starlin Castro thing, where they felt like they rushed him just to show, hey, look, we can develop a you know an everyday player.
0: Well, I, just, I think that's exactly what that was. Yeah. Or, your farm director had become your GM. And he's like, hey, look at this guy. I drafted the this star. This will work. It's like, well, it maybe it would have worked. How about the fact that Sergio Alcantara is back?
1: Yeah, uh, exciting.
0: Maybe that, there you go. Maybe he should find a spot for him in the everyday lineup. It worked so well the first time.
1: Uh, all the Alcantara's.
0: They're cornering the market on them.
1: One of them, we're gonna have one of them be good. I have, I out of what I have seen out of uh, the uh, the Alcantara that actually looks like a prospect. He actually showed me; he's got some major league at bats in him.
0: He does. He looks. Yeah, he looks really good.
1: Um, and same thing with Mervis. I mean, Mervis hasn't like hit for a lot of like power. You know, like. You would hope in the spring, but he does look like he knows what he's doing up there with the plate and the strike zone, so those are good signs.
0: It's funny though, so like Keith Law was basically poo-pooing the Matt Mervis like, right, and saying well, he's a guy who, you know uh, all he does is hit mistakes and blah blah blah. It's like, oh, yeah that's, that's what good hitters do that they hit mistakes. It's, yeah. it's when you can't hit the mistakes or the good pitches that you're screwed.
1: Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think Matt Mervis is going to be like a special hitter, but if he can, you know, if he can provide some pop in the lineup and uh, match mistakes, I'm good with that.
0: Yeah, I, I think. Uh, it,
1: go ahead, I'm sorry.
0: Well, I was just going to say this: the, the lineup they have, which is obviously has more power than last year, but it'd be hard to have less. <laughs> yeah. It, it. It's funny. I think they have the plan for Mervis, that. I, th- I think the reason they signed Eric Hosmer was so they wouldn't have to start the season with Mervis so that he could go to Iowa and he could kind of prove it again and then get called up. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I, that's think, that's I think that's too. probably
0: what's going to happen. I think we're going to suffer. through I think it's going to be one of those things where we look back in a couple of years at 2023 and go, do you remember that Eric Hosmer was on that team for a while?
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that's kind of my thought because they're paying him the league minimum. <laughs> just like Jake Taylor, and um, so they they really can just cut the cord whenever they want.
1: Yeah, and, I think if he's if he's not the starting first baseman by you know mid June, then something's wrong with him. Then he's
0: not
1: he's not what they thought he was. Yeah. Or at least I don't even know if they think that, but at least what a lot of people might think he is.
0: Right. And the only good way that could not happen would be if. Hosmer for some, like actually starts off well to where they just right. don't have to push it yet. But I don't, I don't have any confidence <laughs> yeah. that that's going to happen. I, he just looks cooked to me, you know, like, yeah, you know, he was a pretty good player. He was never as good, I think, as everybody thought he was. Uh, certainly not as good as what the Padres paid him to
1: be. No, no, that, that was a shock to me. When I saw that, I was like, well, I might not have been watching enough Royals baseball, but...
0: I, I got the feeling that that was... That signing was the Padres, like, we we need to prove we'll pay for somebody. Yeah. And they did. And they picked a guy who was completely wrong for their park. Um, and it just was never going to work. And it didn't, really but they clung on to him far longer than they wanted to. And then there was always the rumor last year that the um, the smart move for the Cubs would be to to trade for him, eat the contract to take a prospect. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't do it. And honestly, that's an awful lot of money to eat. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and they ended up with him anyway, but just without the prospect, but also without yeah. the paycheck. So that was good. Um, all right, so one yeah. last thing. Um We already talked about Hayward for a minute, but um, there are a lot of, they're mostly Dodger fans, and maybe a few paranoid Cub fans who are like, you know, what if he really is productive for the Dodgers? It's like, you know what? It'd be fine if he is. It's not like we don't like him. He just wasn't good here. Uh, But I also wouldn't worry about it. But there um, might have been MLB trade rumors. Somebody was positioning it like it was, in effect, a trade. That, um, you know, the, Hayward was a Cub, and now he's a Dodger. Bellinger was a Dodger, and now he's a Cub. And I just looked at that and said, that would be the most Cub trade ever because they're paying Jason Hayward $22 million, and they're paying Cody Bellinger 17 and a million, and the Dodgers are paying Jason Hayward $700,000, and they're paying Cody Bellinger nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so the Cubs are paying almost $40 million for that that doesn't sound like a trade to me no not a good one but what are your expectations of the brief i mean it's not brief they've been how are there still three weeks left of spring training they've been playing forever yeah Uh, but from what you've seen of cody um are you more optimistic than you were less optimistic same optimistic
1: i'd say same i think um I think we talked about it on my pad. Like, I don't expect him to go back to, you know, MVP levels. Um, he was one of my favorite players in the game, though, at that time. I mean, yeah. he was, you know, he looked like he had everything going for him. Um, but even if he just can provide, you know, some pop and, um, you know, he's going to definitely hold down center field. Yeah, I think he's I think the the real. Test if this team is going to be competitive or not is, is Mancini and Bellinger because they need the anchor of the lineup. I think the rest of the guys can, you know, hit hit just enough to make them um go on offense, but if those two guys can provide some pop in the middle, yeah, at least until Suzuki gets back, and I, I don't even know you know what Suzuki can really do yet in a full season. He didn't have a very, you know, even season last year. Um
0: he was good, then he was bad, that he was hurt, then he was good
1: that's it. Yeah. So it's very hard to tell like what you're going to get with him. So it's funny that so many people were, you know, lamenting the loss. Like we lost a lot of production. We hadn't seen it really yet. Uh, Flashes of it, but yeah, no, I do. I do believe Bellinger is going to at least give us 20 something home runs. And I think, uh, you know, come come July, if they're kind of like teetering on, you know, being a playoff contender or not, I think they'll have some interesting decisions to make with both Bellinger and Hap. Um,
0: I, I know what yeah. i do with them. I'm trading both yeah. to the Braves. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> but uh, but no, I I really would love it, you know, if if he would rebound because uh, I don't see him, you know, taking any kind of like Cardinal esque, you know, discount and and stay here just because he likes it here. But wouldn't that be nice for once, you know, if they are able to get one of these guys and, and turn him around like that and have him actually stay here. Because then, because then, you know, you, you've got the option of playing him a little bit at first base or in a corner position. You know, if, if PCA is up next year, that would be nice. But I, I don't see that happening. I think the real possibility is that he's going to have a pretty decent season, just enough where they can, you know, trade him at the deadline. But hopefully, hopefully, that won't be the case. Hopefully, they'll be uh, they'll be in contention long enough to at least lose out on that opportunity.
0: So I'm I'm going to be optimistic about Seiya. Because I I like him. Um, And say that when you look back at his season, it kind of was the good player adjusting to the new league, where he got off to a really good start, then they made the adjustments to him, then he started to make the adjustments back, and then he got hurt, and he missed a big chunk of time, but then he was good at the end. So you could make the idea that, okay, he he figured it out. Um, I think he's probably their best player. And that could be bad. because <laughs> He might not be that good.
1: Yeah, that might be bad.
0: And with Cody, there are the optimist in me looks at it and says, "All right, he was so good. Like this wasn't a guy who was pretty good and then got bad. He was he was legitimately he was a, he was the MVP of the National League, and then he yeah. hurt himself with a, on a home run celebration." <laughs> um, And so you look at it and say, all right. So when he was the MVP at 305, 406, 629, with 47, 115 RBIs. Since then, his best season was last year, 210, 265, 389, 19, over 68 RBIs. So the happy medium between those two things is probably what? Like 270, 340, 500 with... 30 homers and 85 RBIs. I mean, that would be really nice production out of a center. It's a ridiculous production out of a center fielder. You'd be certainly happy with that. Yeah. And I have a feeling he's going to be just good enough that we're all going to be like, why the hell did they only give him a one-year contract? And I know it was because that's all Boris wanted. Mm-hmm. Because Boris is obviously optimistic and thinks he's going to reestablish his value and really cash in. Um, but it's like, if you're the I I still I don't understand given that you're really not a contender this year. I don't understand this from the cub perspective. Unless it's just exactly what you said, which is he reestablishes his value enough that they flip him and they get something for him at the deadline. Yeah. And they're going to tell you, "Oh no, we're going to be in the we're going to be in the playoff race, so we're going to keep him." And then we're going to lose him for nothing, which I don't I just never understood it. It seemed to me like it was either we want, we like Cody, we think we can turn him around. You got to give us two years, or he's gonna have to go do that somewhere else. But they, so I, I don't quite understand. The-
1: yeah, unless Jed really thinks that he's gonna, you know, pull like a Cardinal move, you know, and and re-sign him if if things go well and he likes it here. But I just don't see that happening. Well, I mean, boards. they
0: could, they absolutely could do it. The difference yeah. between what they do and what the Cardinals do is the Cardinals do that, and then they actually pay the guy a market value contract. Mm-hmm. The Cubs would be like, you like it here, right? How would you like to play <laughs> for $0.60 cents on the dollar? And they're like, well, no, I don't want to do that. I do like it, but I don't like it that much. I like yeah. money. That's what I like. Um, yeah, it, I think Wouldn't like that the,
1: be, wouldn't it be great if that finally happened You know, with, with the Cubs?
0: Yeah. Isn't the best example of that Henry trying like hell to trade for Scott Rowland? Like, that was the guy he wanted. He had his eye on him. He talked about it all the time. And then he's like, you know what? He's going to be a free agent. We'll just sign him. And then the Cardinals trade for him, and he never leaves. And he didn't not leave because he liked it so much in St. Louis that he played for cheap. He liked it in St. Louis, and they paid him a bunch of money. That -hmm. seems to be the step the Cubs always miss, is the, oh, wait a minute, you mean we still have to pay him? Why? He likes it here. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, well, I don't quite get it. Um, all right, well, I am uh, now that they're red hot. They've won nine spring games in a row, and that has always means uh, success. Um, I am looking What's forward the- to them not fielding a a crap team because I don't think it's. I feel like they they still. They had another step to take and they refused to pay to take it, but they're clearly a much better team than what we had to sit through last year. So, yeah, that's good.
1: They're kind of like the Indians without Shane Bieber and um, Ramirez.
0: And who made that? Um, that was Dempster wasn't during, that, during the broadcast yesterday. Who said, wasn't, who I said thought it? Wasn't? I Spiegel. Oh, you're right, you're right, absolutely, it was I was I demonstrated something different when he was on with the AAA guy yesterday Spiegel okay. basically said they're, Carter yeah, well, he, uh, he. It was right before or after they interviewed Carter And he was basically saying They're following the, in, the Guardians model Except without the elite pitching <laughs> It's like, you know what the Guardians are Without the elite pitching? They're bad The reason they're yeah. good Is because of that, they have a very average offense And they have really good pitching And if you have a really average offense and really average pitching, you have a really average team, which is what the Cubs uh, project to have.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the pitching is definitely going to uh, be better than people think, and, you know, we'll see. If Justin Steele turns into an ace type even, you know, we'll we'll be in contention, but that's still a lot to ask.
0: It is. I mean, I think – I think Strowman, Tyon, and Steele are like a really nice 2 3 4 on a good team. Yes. And they're the 1 2 3 on the Cubs. Um, right. Which should have you, you know, winning a game or two more than you lose and not embarrassing yeah. yourself and selling fans on the dream of, as like Tucker Barnhart wants to see, big games in September. And, uh, and then maybe next year we make the big step. But at some point, they're gonna have to pay for somebody. <laughs> yes. Uh, they kicked that can down the road. Although they did, they paid Dansby, so we've got that going for us.
1: Well, there are going to be some. There's not many hitters on the market last next year, but there's going to be a lot of pitchers. Yeah.
0: Well, and that's good because they're going to need one.
1: That the Padres will all snap up.
0: Yes. Yeah. They even already locked up my beloved you, who I knew would never come back. But still, it was nah, nice to nah. have that dream of him returning being old and bad um oh i do have one one last i lied i have one last thing okay Okay. are you pro or do you think showing the pitch clock all the time on the broadcast is a is useful or superfluous
1: no superfluous i i definitely love the pitch clock i love what it's doing to my baseball watching because it's cut it down a half an hour at least um i love the uh increase in action but yeah i don't want to see it that gives me anxiety
0: yeah i just think we don't need it because that's what your announcers are for yeah you know i don't want number one there's that score bug is awful i don't know if you saw i'd redesigned it for them i made them a very nice one that looks like their their center field scoreboard and they'll never use it but that's fine um I think it, it, to the point where if they leave it up all the time, you're just never going to look at it. So it's just there blinking and taking up space for nothing. Yeah. The whole idea is it's it, it shouldn't really come into play that often. You know, in minor league games, with it, once they got through like the first few months, it's like barely over one violation a game by a hitter or a pitcher. Everybody just kind of figures it out. And then it's just a thing. It's just, it's the thing in the background that's making the game not grind to a halt. It shouldn't be, Oh, here we go. We're down to four. I hope he gets the pitch off. And I'd like to give marquee credit and say, they're just doing it in the spring. And maybe they'll do it the first few games just to kind of get the fans like, this is what's happening. But that's not their modus operandi. That's, I think they just think this is cool. We're going to show it all the time. It's like, well, just please don't, we don't, we shouldn't need it. Um, One thing I was wondering about with announcers is... And actually, it's funny that you brought up Len, because I was thinking about Len with this. The, the, The single biggest improvement when he came to do the Cub Games after Chip was the ability, his willingness to embrace silence. Like, he didn't feel like he had to talk all the time. And... First, Brenly, and then Deshaies were kind of in that same boat. They talked a lot. They told stories. They analyzed the game. But there would be whole stretches where you would just, like, hear the ballpark sounds. You know, you'd hear mm-hmm. the vendor yell in the background. You'd hear – and that's it's that's what we're supposed to get. Baseball supposed to be, you know, kind of a nice, relaxing thing. And I kind of wonder if the pitch clock will speed up announcers and they don't even realize it. Hmm. Like, they're, yeah, like they're they're less they they they're, they're gonna be less like dead time because they feel like stuff is happening more and more and more and it's like it's on TV, guys. We're we see it. You don't have to tell us everything that happens,
2: right? Like,
0: you know, you can. I mean, as much as I love Pat, and I do, and I don't blame him for this. When he comes over and does his few games on TV, he's still doing a radio broadcast. Like he's giving you a pitched location. It's like, yeah, Pat, we know. We saw it. <laughs> um, but at the same time, if he's only going to do 10 TV games a year, you know, he should probably just stay in radio mode because that's he's going to do the other 152 games that way. But yeah. there are some announcers who are doing TV who are just like that all the time. And it's like, we don't let the game breathe a little bit. That's one of the nice things about baseball is that sometimes we just sit and watch it. You, know, you don't need to tell us everything that's going on. And I, I have nothing to back this up other than just a thought, which is the the pay, the, the increase in pace is noticeable, and it's nice. Like, you feel like stuff's happening, but I kind of wonder if announcers won't get in the, you know, oh, there's a pitch every 11 seconds. i got to just keep talking. So I guess we'll find out.
1: Yeah. Where do you think Boog falls into that?
0: I think Boog talks a little too much, and I think part mm. of that is because he does radio too. Mm. Um. But I like Boog. I mean, I think he's yeah. about as good a guy as they could have possibly gotten to replace Len. I think they did. I think they did well.
1: Yes. Um, surprisingly well.
0: Yeah. And every time, every year, we find out he's coming back, I'm kind of surprised. <laughs> <laughs> um, because God knows who they'll replace him with. I just. Um, yeah. I'll tell you of his of the replacement hosts they have or, or not hosts. The uh, PA, uh, play-by-play guys that they have, the one I like the best is Beth Malins.
1: Yeah, she's great.
0: Yeah, and she has that kind of. There, she doesn't feel like she has to talk all the time.
1: Yeah, no, I like that. And oh wait, who's the uh, who's the I forgot who's the AAA guy that just did the game today?
0: Oh, that's uh, Alex Cohen, right?
1: Yeah, you didn't like him.
0: No, that's oh. too much uh, light FM DJ voice. Going. Um yeah, it was just a little too much. It was kinda of overwhelming. okay <laughs> I have it on in the background. I'm like, um, take a breath,
1: al <laughs> Yeah, I haven't heard him enough to really um, Well and he clearly spent that.
0: the game searching his name on Twitter after okay. after yesterday's game because he replied to both things that me and Mike Pusateri t- uh, tweeted about him. Oh titty. <laughs> Mine okay. was I called him a wedding DJ. And oh, Terry no. made fun of him for um, getting Iowa confused with Idaho and Sergio confused with Kevin Elkin, El, Alcantara, El- Alcantara, whatever it was. Oh,
2: okay. And he was
0: right there to, to chat with us. I'm like, you know, if you're going to do this for a living, which I think you do, you might not want to dive headfirst into Twitter after every broadcast. It's just a hunch. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. Many of us have
1: herpes.